0: Hey, gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire. And this week I have a very special guest on my podcast. I've got Kevin Bertram. How are you doing today, Kevin?
1: Hi, doing great.
0: So you have had a life shift where you were not a board game publisher and designer, but now you are. So what has led you down this path? Tell us about your uh, new publishing house and about your first design.
1: Sure. So, you know, to go way back, um, I've been a gamer since I was very young. But, uh, you know, when I was five and six years old, my father was not going to play Candyland with me. So we played Feudal and Chess and then Risk. And so from even from a young and then, you know, I moved into Avalon Hill games and, and then Access and Allies. And so I've, I've played games pretty, you know, enjoyably. Some may say a little too competitively because I really like playing uh, for a long time. So I've always been appreciative of the game industry and living here in Washington, D.C., uh, you know I've had the opportunity to game with a lot of pretty interesting folks Jason Matthews and I I would say game you know every at least once a month if not a little bit more there's obviously lots of other folks here in the region so it was kind of nice to as I sort of have a less uh, less busy life schedule as I get a little bit older I have more time and I decided to um, I thought it was maybe time to start publishing games and I'll be honest I actually thought I would want to I primarily think of myself more as a public game publisher than a game designer. I think that that's probably where my skill set is a little bit more in managing production and logistics and accounting and that kind of thing. But um, I am actually pretty happy with how the shores of Tripoli turned out. So, um, if you want me to talk a little bit more about that genesis, I'd be happy to. Uh, yes, I'm not please. sure what you want to talk about. So, um, so I was at, so uh, someone had given me. Uh, a book on the subject by, uh, by a Fox news reporter. And I, I was, I didn't even, wasn't even going to read it. And then, uh, I read it and I was like, all right, this isn't the best written book, but this is actually a pretty fascinating history. So then I went and read some a little bit more scholarly work. And I was like, this is a, actually a fantastic and, and foundational aspect, particularly for the Navy, for the Marine Corps, for the history of the United States. And, you know, I was shocked that there were no games on the subject. Um, I sometimes make fun of Volko. I'm like, if we can have a game on some obscure Russian prince, we should be able to have a game on something so foundational to the U.S. Navy. Being, you know, we're in a, the United States. So, uh, so I was like, so I thought I was like, this is a a topic that really I think um, needed a game, and it it isn't really truly. I mean, it's a war. We call it the First Barbary War, but it is, it's a lot more than that. I mean, there's a lot of diplomatic issues that going on, the logistics for, you know, this small young nation trying to support an overseas war where we didn't really have a lot of bases. Well, we didn't have any bases, so we had to work with locals. And so it's as much of a diplomatic conflict as it is a military conflict. And that appealed to me because just as I get a little older, I like I don't like just the military aspect of things. I like a little bit broader, you know, the military, political, diplomatic, economic aspects of conflicts. And so it kind of was a, a nice sweet spot. And then it, because not a lot happened, I mean, there's obviously, con- there's some battles and there's, there's things that occur, but it's not so much material that you need to game, to make a game that takes three, four or five hours. And I'm attracted to games that you can play in 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half. Um, Just because, you know, I think that people's attention spans have shortened. And so it's nicer to be able to have a game that you can knock out pretty quickly or, you know, run it back play. I'm going to play one side and then we'll flip and I'll play the other side in an evening. And I think that's pretty attractive. And so that, you know, led into a lot of the kind of the design thinking behind the game. So.
0: So, did you always know that the game was going to be fairly light? So, for those of you not played, shows of Tripoli e is a one or two player game um, where you are representing. So, if you're playing by yourself, you're always in the United States. But if you're playing two players, somebody's in the United States, and then somebody is representing Tripoli. E. And so, um, yeah, that's about right. But did you always know it was going to be a very light game?
1: Uh, it was really the. It was really the material that led me to the lightness. I didn't have a preconceived notion. Like I didn't want to make some six hour monster game because that's just not going to get played on such a, you know, to most people, esoteric uh, subject. And so I certainly, I didn't have a preset time when I started the design, but as I started looking like, all right, what are the key events that I need? What are kind of the, not filler events, but the things that build out what occurred. And so there's the appropriate downtime that reflects the history. It just worked out that like, four seasons in a year up to the war itself actually only lasts like four and a half years, but, you know, you have as long as six years. And so like that just worked. It just really gelled. And um, so it the sibling game to it is called the Halls of Montezuma from the, you know, obviously from the Marine Corps hymn. And that- that's uh set in the US Mexican War and because there's a little bit more going on i would say that game is probably going to be on average maybe 15 to 30 minutes longer than a game of Shores of Tripoli and while you know they're being sibling games i don't want to make them wildly different in time scale but i think you have to respect the history and especially you know because we place such an emphasis on the educational aspect of it you sort of let the history push you in a direction so if that makes sense. So I always knew I was going to be on the lighter side, but I didn't know how light or heavy it would be. So.
0: Right. So actually this pushes me exactly the direction I like to go. Uh, So you've placed an emphasis on historical research and on the educational aspect of the games. Um, Did anything about the design for Shores of Tripoli surprise you? And, you know, what kind of went into how you chose to represent each of the sides in the game?
1: Sure. So, I think playing as Tripoli, and this is why the solitaire you only play as the United States. I think is playing as Tripoli. You don't have as much. I don't want to say agency. That's not quite what I mean. You sort of have a kind of a. It's clear because that's what the history was. Tripoli. Their economy was based on, you know, extortion and piracy and tribute, and that's that was their economy. And they did that under the auspices of the Ottoman Empire, and they had. Uh, And, you know, they were sometimes used as a proxy by other European countries, and that's what their economy was based on. And so this is just a normal day's work for them. We go pirate. If someone's messing with us, we're going to mess back with them. Whereas, you know, the United States, uh, it was really a difficult undertaking. Um, Abby Mullen, uh, who wrote the historical essay um, for the game, um, actually has her book which is an expansion of her dissertation talking about how really difficult it was for the United States, like having bases there and developing the infrastructure to support these ships. And we have these squadrons that are rotating out. And like, it was really a much more difficult undertaking for the United States. And I think that that's led to, I think a tiny bit unfairly, but some people think it's too hard to win as the United States. I, I think as you get experienced with the game, you realize there's some things you need to do and it's a little more balanced than, than, you might think on your first play, um, but you know, and then at that point, I'm like, "How much do I mess with the history to make it more of an equal feeling game?" Whereas I really like the asymmetry of the victory conditions and even of of you know the methods that you use for the game. And so, while I'm very pleased with that, I understand you know that's not not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. So.
0: So you're going to prioritize historical realism and accuracy a little bit more while the game is still fun. You're not going to make too many concessions to kind well, of ruin I mean, the feel.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm making a ton of concessions oh, in some ways, right? Like, okay. <laughs> like, like it, you know, you're only making four plays of cards. You're not worried about supply. I mean, it's just kind of built into what your limitations are by your, card. so like, obviously there's all kinds of abstractions and I'm not trying to say like, Oh, this is the most realistic, uh, game. But what I do want it to be is I want it to be the most historically believable. And so that if someone plays the shores of Tripoli, or if they play later halls of Montezuma, that once, if they play it like two or three times, they definitely have an understanding of like, all right, what were the goals of the two opposing sides what were their major constraints on their ability to take actions what were their major you know advantages like to have a really good feel even if the game plays out different than the history and and also like who the kind of the major players were uh you know people wise and what the major events were cuz um you know one of the one things say is that you know sure triple is a little bit on rails i don't i don't think that's 100% true but I think there are certainly some guideposts in the game that reinforce the history so when you play it you definitely like you realize that yeah the United States just didn't have enough ships at the beginning and they're overwhelmed and they're just playing defense but then as they get a little more comfortable in the region develop some allies then they informate a, formulate a plan and they can move forward and I think that you know shines through in the game so
0: is the halls of montezuma going to be similarly asymmetrical
1: it it is so um i have i want to be very clear i have an excellent code designer on that my friend gilberto lopez and it's funny because i tend to try to make the game harder for the american player and he tends to try to make the game harder for the mexican player and so we're we're hoping it's kind of i thought it might be the opposite side but that's the way we're coming at it um i'd see the 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 biggest difference or the biggest addition is that in Shores of Tripoli, you either play a card for an event or you discard a card to take an action. In uh, the halls of Montezuma, the US player has a deck of legislative actions that were representative of the legislation that occurred at the time. And then um, you can either... Introduce a leg- piece of legislation, or vote on it, or whatever. And sometimes it's like to add more troops, or it's to create a truce PD with Britain about Oregon, or whatever. And then, and then you, and then you take your normal turn like you would in Charles Tripoli. And then the Mexican player has a guerrilla phase, and then they have their regular turn. And so it's just a tiny bit longer, but you're seeing a lot of the same like structure um, how it goes. And you know there were very different military forces. The U.S. was usually outnumbered at most battles, but they had much better weapons, much better training. Um, The the schism, we think the schism between the enlisted and the officer class in the United States might have been significant. It was nothing compared to the schism between the... uh, Officer class and they enlisted in Mexico and that caused a lot of problems. There are lots of desertions from the Mexican army. Um, so you know, it's a they're very different forces. They have very different ways of fighting. Um, and so, you know, to make that mesh on a battlefield with dice, I mean, it's, you know, I wouldn't say I'd say the game is close, it's not quite ready. Uh, we probably won't even put on Kickstarter till next year. But um, but I'm pretty pleased with its development. And I really, to be honest, I love the political phase, I love how it plays. Um, the US player even has an opportunity to pass the Wilmot Proviso, which would have banned slavery in any territory that was taken in the war. Um, that did not historically happen, unfortunately. Um, and so like you have some ways to play with history and some of the important issues there. The uh Mexican player, well, so the the American player is really the Polk administration. So they're trying to, you know, win this war with Mexico, pass their uh a diplomatic uh Treaties that they want to pass, and so you're really playing as Polk, and you have four years, and then you're out of office, so you need to win by the end of that. Whereas the um, Mexican player not only rec- represents the Mexican military, but also the anti-war forces in the United States, and so there's uh, that, the the Mexican player has a really interesting uh, uh, choice of that they can focus on. The, you know undermining the American will to fight, or they can focus on their military and hoping they win in battle, which then undermines the u s will to fight so it's a it's an interesting um, i'm really pleased with it to be honest, but it, I don't think it's there one hundred percent, but when it's ready, then we'll let people take a larger look
0: Nice, and I love that you've talked so much about design, but you see yourself. As a publisher first, so um, your press, Fort Circle Games, did you have a vision for it when you started? It was going to be this very historical games press, and what what led you in that direction? Just natural inclination, or
1: well, part of it is is economics, and part of it is inclination. I mean, I like history. I was a history major. Um, I've I that's what I primarily read is his is books on history. That's that's my love. Um, And I also, but so there's a few companies that do historical games and like, you know, GMT is kind of the big gorilla. They make a lot of games um, that, you know, have a pretty good reach, but they're also of a sort of, I would say with a handful of exceptions, they're a little bit elevated as far as difficulty from what someone just coming into the hobby might be comfortable with there are a few exceptions of their games but i think that's a fair statement i don't think gmt would disagree with that and then there are a lot of companies that are publishing you know hex encounter games that you know have 200 300 500 game print runs and i'm like i don't want to do that that's not really of interest to me i want to find a way to make games that have a bit of a long tail and the way to do that is to focus on topics not just military topics but also uh you know, political and socioeconomic trends and other kinds of historical topics that have a resonance with a constituency outside the gaming industry. So, The Shores of Tripoli is, I think, a pretty good example. So, The Shores of Tripoli is used at the U.S. Naval Academy in class, right? And that I think is a huge win. I really like that. Um, That's huge. Yeah, I'm like, it's awesome. And the they sell it at their gift shop now, and you know, there's people picking it up who, you know if you had a hex encounter game, which I'm not being like hex encounter games have an important place in our ecosystem, but that's probably not the first thing you're starting a lot of pe- folks off on. Um, and then, you know, places like the national Museum, Marine Corps and the USS constitution Museum. like there's, there's places where it makes sense where people who are interested in history, but aren't necessarily gamers can get a first game. They're like, Oh, this is interesting. And then they can explore the wider world that, you know, you and I inhibit that is obviously a, you know a deeper wider experience as far as history and the types of games and lengths of games and and complexity of games um so i I actually forgot what the original question was but uh, <laughs> uh but i but oh and so so like i've I've been looking for game topics that um might have that like additional uh constituency, so Votes for women, which is designed by my good friend Tori Brown, I think has a natural resonance as, you know, issues around voting rights are, you know, becoming a hot topic, I think it would probably be fair to say. And um, and yet, and also the incredible journey though, that we've also had since both passage of the 15th amendment and then the 19th amendment. And so, you know, that progress is something that we shouldn't, we should celebrate, but then also realize, you know, it's progress, but it's not the end point that we want to be at as far as voting rights and participation in political life in the United States. And so I think that's a game that has a natural constituency of people who will be fascinated by that. And I've seen that by the people who have you know, play tested. They certainly are a little wider uh, group of folks than you would traditionally probably see in game testing uh, play testing.
0: That's really exciting. Do you think I've noticed about the games that you have teased so far is that they all have a very American historical perspective. Is that also deliberate or is that just how things have happened to turn out so far?
1: I think that's I think it's not deliberate per se, but it's certainly, you know, when I look at a game like I want to feel comfortable that I think I can sell 5,000 copies of it because at the 5,000 copy mark, that means I can invest in the artwork. We can, we have the money to include additional, like, so the Shores of Tripoli has one original document, Votes for Women. We're looking at adding a bunch more because it was pretty popular. And so like three or four different things like Susan B. Anthony's indictment. When she was indicted for voting and like things like like there's lots of exciting documents that i think can get people excited about history when they look at it and so um and so in thinking about that the topics that i know best and dealing with an american market especially with the craziness of international shipping right now is that uh u.s history is just the easiest to sell to the u.s market u.s canadian market and obviously we're very happy that folks from europe have been very supportive as well and you know i would love to do a game on the spanish civil war i think that that is that kind of political military conflict where alliances are kind of being made and broken and there's international support like i find i I think that'd be a fantastic game i don't know that i'm qualified to design that game and i'd probably look to Partner, or even just have a designer from Spain do it. I don't know, but so I'm not I'm not averse to games outside of the U S. But it's the it's it's the sweetest spot, and as a young company, you know, we need we can't have a game that doesn't sell well, right? So we need to be able to at least have you know hit a nice single, hit a nice single before we try for the home run, I guess. So.
0: That makes sense. So I'm hearing a really cool sort of pairing of themes that I don't always hear when I'm talking because you know about games, which is that you know you're very interested in the history, you're clearly passionate about it. You're also a businessman, and you are blunt about it. Do you think that those parts of you are ever in conflict with each other? Uh, have you ever? I mean, are there are there historical themes that you just would not cover because you think it's bad for business?
1: I don't know if it's bad for business. I think it's more just like, like I'm not interested in doing an American Civil War game because I think there are lots of them. And I think it's just a raw subject that I, I'm not, I don't know, I'm just not, it just doesn't interest me. And I can't okay. necessarily even articulate exact reasons why. Whereas an American Revolution game, I'd be very excited to do. Um, I think that the history of Haiti is fascinating. I think that as... I don't think that I, as a designer could probably do that justice. And I would look to someone who is a, you know, a scholar of that history to, to work on. Um, But that's a pretty, it's a fraught topic if you really look into the history. I mean, I'm sure there are subjects that I would probably shy away from, but you know, the, I don't, I don't think, I think that sort of my economic sensibilities sort of mesh with my also kind of my, my moral sensibilities, if that's, kind of the question you're asking, um, you know, and I think I probably, as long as I think the game can at least not destroy the company, I'll publish it. So um, <laughs> if that makes it so, so I'm actually, so I'm, I'm a mentor for the Zenobia awards and I don't know if I should, I don't know how I'm, actually if I'm supposed to talk. So there is a design that I'm helping that I love and it is about educating women in indonesia and it's more Euroe than i traditionally love but but the designer is doing an excellent job really working the history in. and and that is a game that like if she wants to publish it i would publish even if it's only to sell 1500 copies and we lose some money because i think that's a really important game to do but i don't think doing that game would destroy the company right like so there's like i'm willing to take some risks but i'm not willing to like you know bet the farm on something if i'm if I don't have a lot of, if I don't have a hundred percent faith in it or, or high confidence. So.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm just curious from, you know, just my perspective as somebody who consumes games, how much of this work are you doing yourself? I mean, there's a lot that goes into publishing a board game. You got to get art, you got to do marketing, you have to do lots of play testing. You have to test the copies to make sure you like the production and design. I mean, how much of this work are you doing on your own as a brand new publisher?
1: Well, so that's interesting because i actually had a great um discussion with jason carr from gmt games about like what does he do and what are like because i am doing most of myself now i don't do the art right i, I send that out and the playtesting, like i coordinate it but obviously lots of people are doing playtesting and so I, but i am the focal point and i'm also the delay if there's a delay with something unfortunately and so um I'm not saying I'm overwhelmed because I do, I'm kind of a generalist. I have a little, a skill set, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I know what my weak spots are, but I think that if we want to move forward to where we're publishing three games a year, then I probably would want someone who is an excellent writer, who would be more of a developer and a lot. And then that would free me up a little bit more to deal with logistics of production and accounting and distribution and all. And so, so, I mean, I'm certainly, there are things I'm better at things. I'm worse at my wife always, like makes fun of it. I'm like, I'm a terrible writer. She's like, you're not a terrible writer, but I'm like, well, um, I'm a lazy writer then. Cause I hate it. Cause I <laughs> like, it's such effort. Whereas so I'm like, Oh, I'd rather just do some accounting and like, I need to realize, you know, where my weakest points are, where there are bottlenecks in our production. So um, yeah. So right now I do, I mean, I don't do everything, but I coordinate everything. Um, and that probably, it would probably be nice to have, One other person to kind of handle at least some of the game development side of it. So
0: that's fair. I mean, you really take it on a lot. It's it's actually great to see how well it's going so far. I mean, did you ever run a Kickstarter before you your own for this business?
1: Well, (laughs) I ran a Kickstarter in like 2014 that did not (laughs) succeed. And I hesitate to tell you because I think some people might be a little disappointed, but um I'll tell you. So uh, uh, what's that game that's kind of horrible? It's, it's the dirty version of Apples to Apples. Oh, Cards um, Against Humanity. Cards Against Humanity. So I'm like, I was actually feeling a little bitter. I was like, they just took a game that's kind of cool, Apples to Apples, and they made it dirty, and they made tons of money. And I was feeling a little bit bitter about that. I don't know why. I didn't have any right to feel bitter about it. But I was like, huh. Oh. So... I uh, I was coaching college debate at George Washington at the time. And so with a bunch of the students, we put together a Kickstarter video and put together the framework of a game called Tic Tac Bullshit, which is, <laughs> do you remember, are, are you old enough to remember Tic Tac Doe, which was a game, it's on the Game Show Network now. It's terrible. It's like, so like two people, you get asked a question and if you get it right, you get an X or an O and you're trying to make a Tic Tac Toe. And so we came up with some, truly offensive top I mean like they're deliberately trying to be funny and offense and uh uh I pulled it so we put made a video so you can see the video on our Kickstarter page if you want if you go back and look at it uh and then I just like we're not gonna be able to publish it before Christmas we probably would have made our funding goal but I was like this is really what I want to do so then I pulled the plug on that because like I'd rather do something that is a little more me because that's not you know, I'm not really very funny, so I don't know why I'm trying to make a funny game, and I'm not really very, you know, offensive for the most part, so why am I trying to make, so I, I so, so, yeah, so uh that's my big reveal, is tic-tac bullshit. Um.
0: You know what, though, I think that a lot of people, I don't know, everybody starts by looking at something successful and thinking, is that what I want to model, right, and then I think it's, a good thing that you knew before you even got there that it wasn't for you
1: yeah it's like this isn't what I want do. and you know there are, there are a lot of models that I respect but I just don't want to do so I love Holland Spiel I own probably 20 of their games I don't know I own a lot of Holland Spiel games and I love that they have you know found a successful model that is awesome but that's not like I know like that's not how I would want to make games I'm, I want to make games that I'm able to take a lot of time and you know, put a lot of money into the art and into the pieces and it's a different kind of game that I want to sell. It doesn't mean that that's not an awesome model that I have the most amount of respect for. It's just, I need to, I, re, I need to realize that what I want to make and what I want to publish. And so that, you know, there's a little process of thinking about that, but now I'm really happy where I'm at. So
0: that was awesome. So how, <laughs> Well, the other thing I've noticed that you started doing early and I, I love it is that you've got partner designers and you're bringing on more designers. So you're not trying to do all of the stuff yourself. Although you, you know, you've know you got a design hand, how are you choosing your design partners and you know, are those, yeah, just basically how are you, how are you choosing your design partners? How are you meeting them and are you seeking out specific topics or do people bring things to you?
1: Already? So um, I'm actually seeing a lot of interesting designs coming in and I don't really, I don't know if that's people like, Oh, I like what they did with or Tripoli, or if it's just like, I'm just going to email every publisher. I don't really know if I'm being sought out or not. Um, but the first designs are almost exclusive with people I know. So my design, I know myself, some say it's impossible to know yourself, but I think I at least have an idea about who I am. Um, <laughs> uh, So Votes for Women is designed by Tori Brown, who, as we related pre-show, I knew from college, although she's a little bit younger than me. Um, Then the next game, um, well, and then our next four games. So Jason Matthews is working on a game on uh, the treason trial of Aaron Burr, which I'm pretty excited about, although he's now been working on um, the new Twilight Struggle Red Sea, so that's kind of diverted his time. But then uh, he had a friend who had the... Uh, design on, um, the Supreme court first Monday in October, which, uh, is a little bit more Euroy than I think probably the rest of our designs, but I really like it. I think it's a fantastic telling of the history and getting a feel for how the Supreme court evolved over time. So it's a, it's a, it's a great game. Um, and then, uh, the sibling game for the shores of Tripoli is the halls of Montezuma. And I decided I wanted to, um, really bring on a second voice to help make sure I was doing justice to that topic. And so Gilberto and I've worked really well together. I've known Gilberto for 10 years or so. Um, and then, uh, great, um, cities, Washington, DC is the last one that we have officially announced, um, which is also a co-design with myself and Jan day. Uh, she lives here in DC as well. And we're both, You know, big fans of the district I love living here Um, she's fairly active in the statehood for DC uh, move like and she we've lived here we've both lived here since the mid 90s so. um, Oh no she's lived here all her life i'm sorry and i've lived here since the mid 90s so like we're really excited about DC and and i'm. And you know, as I earlier I was talking about you try to find constituencies for games, Um, you know that's a game that we're talking to DC public schools with. We're talking to dc tourism folks even dc lottery has all this money that they try to hand out to projects that support you know education in dc and so you know we're trying to really make this a a game that you know and touches you know and we're putting together uh an advisory committee that represent all the kind of the major communities in dc and so we make it a truly you know reflective of the history which we begin the game in 1871 because that's when congress actually made this area, the district of Columbia, one city. So, um, and that's a good starting point. And, you know, it actually, and it's, I feel comfortable because it's post-slavery and while that just happens to be the history, I feel more comfortable with that. Like we avoid, you know, there's still some very serious issues about how the African-American community has been treated in DC, but at least we sidestep having to talk about that one. Not that I don't want to talk about it, but I don't want to necessarily gamify that. I don't, feel comfortable doing that. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, mostly I've been working with people I know, but that being said, I've been looking at some really interesting designs and, you know, the, the, the downside is that because I'm kind of trying to do too much that our designs are coming out slower. So if I found a developer who I felt good working with, then I think we could get to that, you know, three games a year, which would be a perfect number for us. And, uh, we'd start you know, publishing wider topics, I think a game actually on, you know, some part of Roman history would be pretty fascinating to me. I know that's probably a subject that's uh, close to your heart. If you ever want to design, let me know. (laughs) So, um, and, you know, there's lots of interesting parts of history, you know, Spanish civil war, I think it's pretty fascinating. Um, There's a lot, you know, the Russian civil war is pretty fascinating. Um, There's, well, we haven't officially announced yet, so I should be careful, but we're, we're close to partnering um, with two different companies, uh, one from Nigeria and one from India and working with designers who are local, but to make games that touch on their history and we would be more the production partner and kind of getting it into the U S and European for that matter, ecosystem. So those are kind of projects that we're excited about, you know, if they come to fruition, I guess, you know, we'll wait till they actually come to fruition, but that's sort of, the kinds of things that i'm looking at so
0: that is really exciting so another thing i've noticed you saying and i think this is good is that you seem to be very focused on games that are on topics that are not overdone so topics in american history like i've never heard I've, i don't are there any games about the supreme court uh i've never played an aaron burr game those sound good and it also seems like even in your partnerships you're interested in bringing fresh voices and perspective. Um, is that also a deliberate thing or is it just your taste?
1: I think it's a kind of a mixture. I mean, you kind of want to do what you know and do what you like. And, you know, I'm sure I could make a game on the battle of the bulge or I'm sure we could, but you know, there's a bunch of them and I don't know if we want to tread over territory that's been heavily, you know, trodden already. Um, right. I'm not sure if I got those tenses right, but close enough for podcasting. <laughs> um, so, Uh, So I definitely want to, like, I want to find topics that are interesting, that people will find interesting, but yet maybe not have a ton of information about, you know, Aaron Burr, everyone knows Aaron Burr, you know shot that other guy. I can't remember his name. Uh so um no. So everybody, you know, everyone knows that Aaron Burr shot and Alexander Hamilton. But then after that he has this whole other other like fascinating history about maybe he was trying to form an empire in Louisiana Perch Like it's fascinating history. And then the trial like Thomas Jefferson is president and he's like micromanaging the prosecution and like every kind of big deal in the trials in Virginia and the uh, the Supreme Court uh, uh, just uh, – it's the chief of the Supreme Court who comes down to uh, preside the case because he's circuit riding, and that just happened to be assigned to him. I mean it's, it's just – it's a fascinating history, and it makes you realize like how precarious the United States was in its early days. So, so that kind of early American history in particular I find fascinating, although obviously – there's other parts of history I find fascinating so that's why you know I'm pretty excited about that bird game in particular so yeah
0: it's great just hearing you talk about it it's like I could tell you lit up um it actually makes me think of um do you read a lot of historical fiction
1: uh very little uh a little uh which just makes me a very bad person I guess I mostly read either uh you know Neil Stevenson's earlier work is about the last fiction (laughs) I've read and I try to read like the the Man Booker Award winner every year. And that's about it. Like, I don't read a ton of fiction, unfortunately, which which my wife is reading all the time. And I think, you know, that's why she's probably a better, smarter person than I am, so.
0: Well, I was asking, because my dad recommended a book to me that I read. I thought it was really good. And it's called Scandalmonger. It's by William Sapphire. And it is about kind of the early press and oh. how partisan and like nasty oh, yeah. it was. And so you've got like Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson and all these it's truly really, like there's scandal mongering that happens and it is delicious. So it,
1: but it's a work of fiction though.
0: Yeah, it's a work of fiction. Oh, but it's yeah. it's based on real documents, but yeah, 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 it's a good fictionalization.
1: Oh, I might pick that up then. That sounds good. So sounds uh, a little scandalous. I'm a big fan. So
0: of course. <laughs> I mean, history, you know, it's it's a way to in I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I just like history because it lets me be a gossip monger and a bad person without actually hurting any living people.
1: That's <laughs> why <So laughs> I like Roman history so much. <laughs> well, and you know, the best thing is like, you know, there's the kind of sanitized version of history of everyone was perfect and you know, we all march towards progress. And then there's the real history of like people are people and they're petty and they're vicious and they backstab each other and they do terrible things, but they also do great things. And so like, I do like that sort of grittier feel about history that I think we can, we can still celebrate, but also recognize that it's, it's not all just, you know, apple pie and Betsy Ross. So
0: yeah, you have a good point there. So of the games, so you've got a lot of really cool stuff coming up. What is something that you haven't gotten to design or publish yet, but it would be your dream topic?
1: I think it would be, so absent all bridges burning coming out, I would have set a game on the Finnish Civil War. Um, I'm about half finished, and it's, it's the part of my family's history that I pay most attention to. And... Um, I think that would have been the topic, but I think that, you know, there've been a couple other games that came out on it that are good. And then I think all bridges burning came out really did pretty great. And so that sort of knocked out the excitement I had about that being the topic that I wanted to do a game on. So I think, um, it would probably be, uh, maybe a game on the American revolution, although, you know, Mark Herman did a great job and there's been some good American revolution games, but, I think'd like I think there's some other ways to approach them. I feel the same way about the war of eighteen twelve um, I think my biggest criticism about every game on the war of eighteen twelve is that it's they're two player games it's the u s against you know Britain, british Canada and really there's a third player in all that in that the Native Americans, primarily Tecumseh's confederacy, was really a legitimate third player in that, and you know people are like we don't know really who won the war of 1812. Did the Americans win or did the British win? And the truth is that the natives lost and that's because they got kind of backstabbed by their British allies and that, you know, the U.S. prosecuted that war pretty viciously. And so I would love to see a war on the game on the war of 1812 that is a three player that gives agency to the native Americans on par with the U.S. and Canada. Obviously they would all have very different capabilities. Um, And then I think, as I've alluded to before, both the Spanish civil war and the Russian civil war, I think they're great topics. There've been some good games on both of those topics, but I think they're um, a little longer maybe than I would like to see a game on. I'd like to see a game that you could play it, you know, an hour and a half um, that still conveys all the major information about both of those conflicts. Um, And maybe that can't be done, um, but I think it probably could be done. Sorry, anyway, so those are kind of topics that I'm interested in, and you know there's other areas of the world that I'm fascinated by, like I love India, I love Indian food, I love Indian culture, I love cricket, which is you know the national sport of India. But I also don't really feel that I have the voice to to do a game on India, but I'd love to you know work with someone in India. I think I've alluded to that would be something that would be great and same with African history. I, but you know, I'm not sure that's, that's my history to write, but it might be my history to, or the history that I help publish. So, right. or I gave just a ton of answers. Yeah. Uh, I basically you know need the... 20 people working for me now. So. Exactly.
0: It's good. It's just a sign of the future. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what are you playing right now that you really, really love?
1: So Okay, I'm. I never like to criticize games. Um, I'm going to be extremely critical about a game that I've played probably 400 times. Okay, uh, so it's a game. It's called It's a Wonderful World. And uh, my primary gaming partner is my wife. And uh, like I would say, we play like a lot of Terraforming Mars. We like Tar Guy. Uh, we play a lot of game. We used to play a ton of 1960. So like, you know, she's my primary like day to day gaming partner. And this game, It's a Wonderful World. Are you familiar with it?
0: No, I'm not. Tell me about
1: it. So it's sold pretty well. It's a French company, I think, that designed it. And so uh, you have, you just draw, you, you draft cards and you can discard them to get a kind of resource that then you, or you can keep the card and try to, put the resources on it to build it. And like the theme doesn't make any sense really. And it's just like it could be an accounting program and it'd be the same game. And so like my wife and I <laughs> both like, this isn't a very good game. And yet we play it over and over and over again. <laughs> so like we've all we ran out of the sheets that come in the game. And so like, you know, my wife created a sheet where there's eight games on and we play eight games in a day and we just blow through the game and and so I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't such a bad game because we play it and we're compelled to keep playing it. But yet then I look back and I'm like, I can't defend why I like playing that game. It's it's not interesting thematically. And yet, I don't know, we play it a lot. So uh, yeah, let me take a look. What else am I playing? Um, I'm actually really interested in playing Pan Am, which is a little bit lighter of a game than I normally would be, Um I just got bayonets and tomahawks, which is designed by one of my artists. And I love that map. That map I fell in love with. That's why I actually had him do the map for um, Tripoli. And he did. I'm not sure if you've seen the map for um, Halls of Montezuma. There's a draft of it on Board Game Geek. And it's actually a gorgeous map. I love that map. So, um, yeah. So, and then uh, my wife's family... Um, we play a lot of Carcassonne and that's just the family game. And, you know, some people think like, oh, what a genteel Euro game that is. No, this is vicious. And like, like my mother-in-law, who is just this wonderful, nice person is just a vicious Carcassonne. Like we, it's, it's extremely competitive and like, yeah. So, so I don't know, I guess that kind of covers a lot of what I'm playing right now. Um I tend to play a lot of games like just once or twice. Also, it's like I'll get together with Jason and we'll just play like whatever the hotness is, um, like whatever the latest GMT game is or occasionally a compass game. We played compasses um, version of the War of 1812, which I thought was pretty good. I liked it. I liked the designer as his first design. Um, obviously, there are things I would do different in a War of 1812 design. But so, yeah, so it's kind of all over the place.
0: That's nice though. That's awesome. Yeah. And so hopefully this is not all over the place. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to contact you?
1: Sure. So um, our website is fortcircle.com and um, there's not a ton of information there. Um, I am more active than I probably want to be on Twitter and that's twitter.com slash fortcircle. Um, I'm, I'm not really active with our Facebook page, but I'm on Facebook Although that's pictures of, you know, my daughter and my cats and baseball games. I go to a lot of baseball games. That's actually my real profession is attending baseball games. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so any of those ways or, you know, my email is Kevin at Fort Circle. If you have design, if you're interested in anyone out there, if you're really interested in being a developer and you maybe have done a little bit of work before, um, you know, I'd love to chat with someone. Um, I think that I think we have a good reputation among our artists. of of being willing to overpay for quality and we would extend that same attitude towards some um, development work. So not that this is a, this is a, you know, uh, please come work for me pitch, but I'm just like saying, if anybody is actually thinking of that, it'd be nice to hear from you. So.
0: Fantastic. My podcast is matchmaker. This would be a new,
1: a new job. Yes. I, well, and if anyone gets a higher, they I think they have to send you 10%, is what the rule is, right? So there we
0: go. That's how I'm gonna fund this thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I of course can be found anywhere online as Beyond Solitaire. Thank you everyone so much for listening. And thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on. Happy gaming, everybody.